From 12 News, this is Newsmakers. Welcome to Newsmakers, I'm Tim White. After more than 37 years with the Providence Police, 12 as chief, Hugh Clements is moving on. He's taking a new role with the Department of Justice to work with police departments across the country on community policing. On Wednesday, I sat down with Clements at police headquarters, less than 48 hours before he was set to walk out of the building for the final time. Colonel, I know you have a lot going on, so I appreciate taking the time to talk to us. Um, my, my pleasure, Tim. Thank you. Look, before we look back at a long career here in Providence, I, I want to look ahead. When you describe the new job to your mm -hmm. friends, what do you say? It is a tremendous opportunity with a awesome responsibility at a, uh, a national level. I, I, I will have the ability to impact the future of law enforcement uh, it'll take some time, but in cities, in uh, suburban areas, in rural areas, uh, state police, around the country. And it's, uh, it was just an opportunity too good to pass up. How did the job come about? Did you reach out to the Department of Justice or did they reach out to you? So I'm very familiar with the office. Uh, the previous director, directors, uh, would come here from time to time in the past uh, because we were at the forefront of community policing in Providence uh, back in the early teens. Mm -hmm. And I did not even know that the job was vacant. So around March, somebody reached out to me, uh, an operative in D.C., and told me there was an opening of a high-level position in D.C. And uh, I had recently spoken at a U.S. Conference of Mayors in Miami. And when I came back that weekend, it was, I came back on a Sunday, on Tuesday, I received a call from somebody in D.C. and they said, there's a high-level position open. Uh, here's the position, would you have an interest? I said, I'm familiar with the position, but let me take a look and I'll get back to you. That night I went home, I looked and I called them back. I said, yes, I, I would have an interest. Now, the way I understood it was there wasn't going to be an application process, but they wanted some of the larger think tanks in policing to forward names. And there would be several who would want this position and go from there. Did Mayor Brett Smiley ask you to stay? Yes, he did. And uh, I almost did stay. Was it close? A close call for you? It really was. You know, I love this city and it's hard walking away. Uh, Mayor Smiley, I've known a very long time. So I knew he was a, a candidate and likely to uh, give a very strong run at the mayoral ship in the city of Providence. And in fact, he wins. And uh, so early on, I had told him about this opportunity in front of me and there were conversations. Uh, interesting. Why don't we look back, uh, a kid from Coventry, right? So born in uh, Providence, Orm Street, uh, by eminent domain, the state of Rhode Island took my uh, family's three-decker house and my aunt's uh, three-decker house next door and she had a store many in Smith Hill will remember Mary's uh, I'm half Greek so that was a, a Greek Armenian enclave in the city back then so my early roots are uh, right off the state offices exit when you sit at the red light straight across the street it's a parking lot now that's where I was born and up to my early years lived there when they took my uh, Why they did they were, take it? What was what were they putting state in? State property, and it's now a parking lot for uh, <laughs> administrative buildings. We were next to the uh, railroad tracks, right near the uh, the old Quinn funeral home. So, how old were you when 
when uh, six. So six years think, old, yes. move out, move out of the moved city. Moved to Coventry, and back then a lot of uh, city residents. Uh, I, I remember we we had tremendous athletic programs in Coventry, and a lot of uh, friends of mine that I played ball with, football, basketball, baseball, and everything. Yeah. Uh, their dads played ball uh, with my father at Hope High School. Uh, some big name players back then, all staters, and they all emanated to Coventry. <laughs> And we had we had great teams. So it it was 1985 where uh, you return to Providence and you get the Providence badge uh, pinned to your chest. What was it like to be a cop in 1985? It was a moment. Let me tell you, it was. Uh, I only wanted to be a Providence police officer. And uh, when I first came on, it was a different generation of policing. It was more of a absolutely a traditional centralized police department back then and you know it was a different culture what is centralized for people listening to that what does that mean so we have headquarters at 209 fountain street and the operations and all uh patrol and detective operations run from 209 fountain street and then later in 2003 we became decentralized where we brought policing to the community but it was a different era of policing in 1985. I mean, I don't even know. Did different you have, culture. Did you even have two-way radios at that time? Oh, yes. You did. did. Okay. Yes. I remember, the, I mean, there was a time when police officers were on their Just own. Just before me, they did not have radios, but we, we had, we all had radios. And, and back then, the union made a strong commitment to make sure that the officers had the communication they needed to be safe. In, in the mid-'80s, late-'80s, uh, many may not remember this, but it was, it was a violent time. Late 80s, early 90s in the city of Providence, in every city in the country, the crack epidemic, shootings were through the roof. 150, 160 shootings that someone shot. Right. Not shots Not fired. Sh shots fired, yeah. Shootings where people are hit by gunfire and injured. Uh, averaged around 150 and higher. And homicides, as you know, mm -hmm. as high as upper 20s, 32, 36. We had one year. It was a violent time. And you transitioned from a, a street cop into detectives. You investigated uh, murders, narcotics, gun cases mm -hmm. uh, through all that time. Is there, is there a case from that era, from your time in detectives and detective captain, that, that stands out to you? Yes, I went from patrol to the task force to the uh, narcotics unit. I did some undercover stints. Even when I left narcotics and went into night detectives, they continued to use me in undercover roles where I was buying guns in an undercover role with some operatives from organized crime. That was that was fun. That was an interesting job. Fun I, but dangerous. Really dangerous. And I, I can remember being in uh, basement apartments off of Delane Street on Judith and Appleton and uh, making arrangements from some uh, enforcers of organized crime to buy weapons, mm. and, and they were comfortable with me. And I bought a lot of weapons, and uh, they were enticing me to get deeper in the game and commit high-end burglaries of uh, other players in, in the uh, organized arena. At a, at a certain point, though, they figure out who you are. And you're with the right, the good and guys. The, the attorney general's office stopped back then because they trusted me too much and were inviting me to participate in 
and stuff that was dangerous for law enforcement and the AG's office. But yeah, I'd say one case that stands out is a Latin King case mm -hmm. that we went, I think it was the second time in Rhode Island where uh, local law enforcement used the RICO statute uh, that was normally used against old school La Cosa, La, Nostra. La Cosa Nostra, but we used it on the Latin Kings, the almighty Latin Kings, and uh, we dismantled that organization for a very long time to this day, and uh, that was a really good case. Are there any cases that, I don't know, put it, uh, slip through your fingers that still kind of haunt you to this day? Hey, look, you know, in city policing, I've investigated up to, I believe I, I counted them right just under 100 homicide cases that I was integrally involved in the investigation of those cases. So, and I'll say this earnestly and honestly, every single one where we ended up with not having a clearance, I think Meaning slipped Meaning unsolved. Unsolved. Yeah. And actually unsolved to the degree where somebody wasn't criminally charged and held accountable because on almost every one of them, we know who did it. And these are difficult cases. You know, the national clearance rate has ebbed and flowed, but it, I believe it, it was around when I was there, 62%. And we were hovered around that number. City homicides are much more difficult to solve. I think the rate is much higher. I know the rate is much higher in suburban areas. But around 62%, many times we came over. A lot of times we hovered on that number. It came just under. Every single one that we didn't clear with justice being served, I think slip through the cracks. I really do. And there's one or two that, yeah, they, they still bother me. You often have talked about the restraint that Providence police officers use. I, I was curious, thinking about this interview, have you, you know, uh, p people in law enforcement will go their entire career without ever firing their service weapon on the job. Have mm -hmm. you? So, and I did. I, I went my entire career and I never fired my firearm in this city of Providence. And uh, rough times, rough city. Uh, and I was in active units that made a lot of arrests mm -hmm. and were uh, all in units, uh, you know, nonstop. Uh, we would make three, four arrests a night of uh, players in the community. So I didn't, but I, at this point I'll say I, I cannot commend the men and women of the Providence Police Department more highly in, the, in this current era. They're professional, uh, they're well-trained, and I think it was two or three years, I think it was three years ago, the year that we had the uh, mass shooting on Carolina Avenue. Mm -hmm. In that year alone, we had recovered over 1,650 shell casings in the city. And I think it's important to know this is the environment that Providence Police officers work in. In that year, not one of those six, uh, 1650 shell casings came from a Providence Police firearm. That's incredible. And, and in a year when we normally average 120 to 140 arrests of a, uh, a young individual illegally possessing a firearm, last year was over 260. And those are dangerous arrests. And not every one of them are seamless. They're foot chases, they're motor vehicle pursuits, they're struggles, oftentimes with the gun in a waistband, in the hand. Uh, and we've had some dangerous moments, and I can uh, honestly say at least a half dozen moments last year alone, never mind the three years ago with the 1,600 casing seized. Every single year where Providence Police could have used greater force or deadly force and didn't. You've been colonel for almost 12 years, which is 
the longest since the late 1800s mm -hmm. of any uh, leader of this police department. That is, I can just say with authority, that is a long time in this job. There's a lot of incoming for you mm -hmm. and for any colonel and leader of this department. So it is surprising that you, you've you mm -hmm. been here for, for that long, particularly you consider the pandemic and all the unrest of, mm -hmm. of 2020. Uh, I just want to have you reflect on your, your time as colonel. What would you say is your proudest accomplishment as colonel in the last 11 years? So I would say in totality, uh, it's bringing this police department closer to the community. I've heard the term used recently, and there is power in proximity. There is power in bringing uh, entities closer to together. Uh, I built my reputation as a community policing leader back in District 5. So when we first re-engineered, transformed the Providence Police Department into that mode, uh, Colonel Esselman came in and replicated what had happened with a data-driven organization, Comstat, with the NYPD. We became a community-oriented policing department. Uh, we chose nine districts. Nine district commanders were chosen. I was chosen for District 5, and that's where I cut my teeth in community policing. Manton, Manton Oneyville, Hartford. Mm -hmm. And then, so to your question, you know, once I was inserted in this role as chief, and it has been a long time. And when I first took over, I put in my head, you know what, I want to do three, maybe four. The average is three years for a city police chief. And to, I just began number 12, it, it is, I'm surprised myself. So you're in your 12th year now. I just started my 12th. I, I was uh, acting chief June of 2011, and here we are. So. You know, I think our greatest accomplishment is, has been to uh, build a, a greater foundation of closeness to the community, the community groups, the social service groups. I mean, it's such a comprehensive, holistic approach that we throw at every social ill there is, whether it's mental illness, chronic addiction, gun violence. We treat it as a epidemic, a public health issue. Uh, we work very closely, and you know many of them, the Nonviolence Institute, Family Services Rhode Island, LISC, rebuilding our ways out of uh, crime magnets in the community. You know, when I ask you about the accomplishment, you go to a policy thing, talking to other people, uh, you wouldn't say this, but they'll say one of your biggest accomplishments has been being able to uh, retain the trust of the men and the women of the department, despite having other leaders that might have ruffled feathers. You were in the command staff for Colonel Dean Esserman. He mm -hmm. definitely ruffled feathers with uh, rank mm -hmm. and file in this department. Don't need to tell you that. Uh, Mayor Jorge Alorza has said and done things that have angered men and women of this police department. And even, I would say, Public Safety Commissioner Stephen Perry sometimes rubbed mm -hmm. people the wrong way. But you've always been able to thread that needle mm -hmm. um, despite being in leadership for so long and having these different personalities that clashed with the rank and file. How were you able to do that? So, so I would answer that, and it's the absolute truth, and say, look, it's part of my fabric. You know, I came up through the ranks. I worked in all these units, all these divisions, uh, and as I came up through the ranks, when I made chief, I had 26 years on the job. And about 13 were on the uniform division patrol side, and about 13 were on the plainclothes investigative side, narcotics, detectives. And in each of those, when I began to make rank, 
I bounced back and forth from the uniform division to the plain clothes unit. And during that time in 1993, before that, I, I was a trustee on the Fraternal Order of Police Board. And I believed in the hardships and the, in the job and the voice of the men and women that I worked with mm. as I went up through the ranks. And I think it's important for the work the, the FOP does is very important. And, you know, I never forgot the struggles of the job when you're out there at uh, 2.30 in the morning on a car stop or 10.30 at night on a car stop in the north end, the south side, the west end. It, policing in, uh, in this type of environment is difficult. You make split-second decisions that you will be Monday morning quarterback on uh, for the next several days and weeks at times. And now, and, and thankfully, we, and you may ask a question on that, that we've increased the technology we use here with body-worn cameras. But back then, it, we didn't have that ability. I think one of the greatest things, advents we've gone to in policing in this city is body-worn cameras. I think it's built a level of trust in the community, in the department. But it was always important for me to, you know, protect the hard work the men and women do, but as well in the community to hold them accountable. We're not perfect. When we're wrong, it is important for leadership in policing to hold. Uh, we have a lot of power mm -hmm. being a police officer. Absolutely. Uh, in, in, in running a... But striking uh, that balance of finding, you know, holding policing accountable, but yet still letting the men and women of the department feel like you have their back. That is a tough balancing act uh, that many chiefs can't strike. Yes, it's a, it's a balance. <laughs> yeah, it's a balance. All right. So the flip side of your biggest accomplishment, uh, the, the other side of that coin, is what's your biggest regret? <clears throat> biggest regret is in saddest moments around here is, and I worry about it every single day. Uh, you know, there are so many guns out there right now. I, I really worry about uh, data is data and statistics are statistics. If we're arresting now 250 people illegally possessing a firearm, it's dangerous. Uh, so my regrets are the police officers that we lost. And I mean that. Uh, you know, the first one broke my heart, broke our hearts. It, it forever changed the Providence Police Department when Stephen Shaw was mm -hmm. shot in the head. And, uh, and lost his life. A young man who served in the Marine Corps and uh, came back to his hometown to serve his community, that was tough. And we had four in my era. Uh, Jimmy Allen, mm -hmm. work for me, squad two, detectives, Providence Police. Unreal story. I mean, uh, just these are the realities that we live with in policing. I mean, and, then, and that's the other thing. I mean, I think the men and women know here that we have a lot of success stories. I mean, every single day, we made a huge arrest yesterday with an ongoing robbery situation, carjacking situation. And, you know, we celebrate those victories day to day. And detectives, you know, they're proud of the work that they uh, uncover. And we got a really bad person off the street that caused a lot of harm in our community. But I always say we never have enough time to celebrate our victories. And the ones that really hurt and I regret are you know, Jimmy Allen, Steve Shaw, Cornell Young, Max Dawley, they lost their lives. They've given, they've made the ultimate sacrifice 
in their communities. That's real. Mm -hmm. And their families forever hurt by, but you know what? They've all become part of this family, the Providence Police. You know, I talked to all of them, all four families I've stayed in contact with, and uh, yeah, that, that hurts. I gotta ask you a personal question, uh, scary incident that happened um, in, in recent years. Your wife Donna was struck by a motorist in Cranston. Yes. And she was seriously injured mm -hmm. as a result of that incident. You've dealt with scores of calls and responding to calls mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, a pedestrian struck over the years. But then you got word it was your own wife. Mm -hmm. What was that moment like? That was a tough moment. I'll tell you, I'm surprised you asked that question. But hey, the, the truth of it is, uh, it was a Saturday morning. My youngest daughter was home from New York. Uh, I was going to have a good day because they were all going to dinner that night, and I was going to stay home alone. And, <laughs> uh, but I, I was running errands, and I got the call on my wife's phone by another person uh, that my wife had been involved in an accident, and uh, she can't speak. I said, why can't she speak? They said, she's on the ground. I said, why is she on the ground? Oh, she was walking. She wasn't in her vehicle. So from that moment on, uh, it was tough. And my wife, my daughters have been the rock in my family. They've supported me my whole career and supported me in this venture. So uh, yeah, I supported her, and she knows it big time. Whoever the next colonel of the Providence mm -hmm. Police Department is going to be, what is your advice to that person? So look, without question, I, I am so proud of not only the men and women of this department, but the leadership. And I, I absolutely believe, believe the next leader of, of this department is right in this command staff. We built a culture of leadership. That's why in the last 10, 11 years, there's been police chiefs selected in this region from this command staff, from this police department. Uh, there are many heads of security uh, in this region picked from this command staff. There is really good leadership. You know, there. it's interesting that you're, you're leaning into that because people at home are gonna be like, well, he's sending a message to Mayor Brett Smiley pick within because there are undoubtedly going to be outside candidates who are also interested uh, in the job. Is, th is this a strong message to the current mayor, th the next leader of... No, it's not a strong message to the mayor. These are my thoughts. I'm so confident. And but not everybody shares those thoughts. Maybe not, but these are my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that the leadership is right here. I mean, they've walked with me every step of the way including in recent times, and we strategize daily, weekly, monthly, major issues. And we, we speak about this all the time. We have events in the city with 10,000, 60,000 on a weekend, 100,000 people. We strategize all week long, and the event starts on Friday night and, and it ends on Sunday late afternoon. Not a car window broken in the city of Providence. That comes with strategy, with planning, with commitment from the command staff and the, the mid-level supervisors on the department, the district commanders, the sergeants who are out there while I'm home fielding the text messages and the phone calls. I'd like to be there too, but I'm not there as long as them. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's good leadership here. And, and they speak the language of 21st century policing. They get the comprehensive approach that I spoke about earlier of directing our attention. It, we're not going to arrest our way out of one of these social ills, including gun violence. Never mind chronic addiction, mental illness, 
and you know the 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 drivers of uh, what comes from poverty in this city and, and, and opportunity. We're never going to be able to arrest our way out of that. Mm -hmm. But who do they call? They call the police because at 11 o'clock at night on Friday night or three in the morning, there's no one else around. They call the Providence Police even during the defund the police moment. You know the greatest validator of why we need policing is you know 200,000 times a, a year somebody picks up the phone and they need something they're in trouble who do they call providence police it's the most visible and connected government agency that anyone deals with i think is law enforcement right. it's it's sort of the front porch to government so mm -hmm. look it has been a, a, a final question to you it's been a a tough couple of years um you talk about defund the police and of course, the riots in 2020, which you and I did a long interview about. Um, as you're walking out the door, which is on Friday, if if uh, if I have it right, you do. Uh, what is your message to the men and women of this department as you're walking out the door? Keep it going. I mean, we are we have a lot of momentum right now into the men and women into the next leader. It's training. It's uh, officer wellness and safety. It's continuing to connect with the community. You, you know, this authority means something, and I mean this. It has been the honor of a lifetime, not only to be the chief of this department, but to wear this patch and to serve the city is an honor and a privilege. And we're here for the people. They have a lot of problems in their uh, respective communities, in their neighborhoods, and, and, and don't forget that for a second, the power that we have in the authority of raising our hand and wearing the badge that, you know, people look to us for help. And uh, I know by and large, we are well, respe well respected and appreciated in this community. And, and don't forget that for a second, because you have an opportunity with every interaction in the community to make an impact and make it a positive one. Do you think Hugh Clements of 1985 would ever have imagined that he was going to run this department for a dozen years? Never. I, I think one of the headlines when I made chief was uh, he never aspired to be the chief, and that's true. Uh, I was pretty content being a detective sergeant. I love detectives, uh, but I knew that I performed pretty well on the testing scheme uh, contractually, and uh, I bypassed a couple of lieutenants test and then I, I took it and even when I got higher in rank to captain I never thought I'd be the chief uh, and so when I made it when I made major I knew I was probably in play and uh, when uh, when I did make it I thought I'd be here three years four years I never thought I'd be the chief of the capital city and it's been a hell of a hell of a run for 12 years never never thought that I've enjoyed covering you for 17 years. I'm sure I've done stories you wish I hadn't, but uh, you've always been accessible. You've always picked up the phone, and uh, for that, you know, I thank you very much. And thank, thank you, you for your time. I will stay connected to this city, and uh, the future is bright. You've been a pro, and thank you. Thanks, Chief. Our thanks to Colonel Clements. You can get newsmakers on the go. Just scan that QR code in the lower left hand of the screen to take you to our podcast, and you can subscribe there. I'm Tim White. We'll see you next week on Newsmakers.